0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac,
1: and Boomer. Welcome to the Go
0: Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. You know, I can live with losing seasons and no bowl games, but no Huskers in the Super Bowl for the first time in
2: 26 years? I'm just going to lose it.
0: (laughs) All
3: right.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm also with Mac. Mac. Uh, well, I just want to go on the record and dispel the rumors that we actually reached out to Bo Davis to replace Boomer as our uh, special teams coordinator. guy. that's not happening. I know he's just doing that to get a bump on the podcast that he does, but no former quarterbacks are going to be interrupting this brotherhood. Uh, all right.
1: I really need to follow our Twitter feed more closely. Uh, Boomer, what, what do you got going on?
3: Well, I'd just like to console our listeners that I have been out checking the uh, the weather situation and rest assured that the uh, city of Lincoln has sent the Zambonis down the uh, side streets, so they should be nice and slick for tomorrow's drive. So no concerns.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: All right. All right. I'm not so worried about that here in, in uh, Denver. We have uh, lovely 50-degree temperatures uh, this week but uh I, there is a few things happening in lincoln outside of the weather right honk uh last friday we had a coach leave the staff troy walters and in about three hours his uh, replacement was on staff uh matt lubick son of Sonny lubick if that's an odd thing to say and uh interesting to hear you know matt apparently was uh, a consultant with nebraska uh, all through last season so there's a familiarity there with Uh, the staff, and obviously um, has worked with Scott Frost before. Initial thoughts there? uh, Were you excited when you heard that it was uh,
0: uh, Matt Lubick? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, it almost feels like that was planned. No, really? To be let go at 3 and by 6 o'clock have your replacement. Well,
1: it's just the efficiency of the
0: staff. Yeah, I think maybe this was in the (laughs) works for a little while, right? Are you trying to tell me that Mickey Joseph didn't have an offer? As an associate head coach, I don't know what to believe right now. I tweeted out a thing on Friday saying... You know, hey, you know, after years of research, we figured out that clicking refresh on on Twitter doesn't make the hire happen any faster. And then like two minutes later, he got hired. Turns out it does. Turns out it does. Yeah. I was totally wrong there, right? Um, Take that, work production. But I'll say this. uh, You know, obviously the fact that Lubick is someone that has as many years of experience working with Frost. He certainly has a high pedigree as a recruiter. He's won many awards in the past for that. And the fact that he was consulting with the team last year, something tells me that Frost wanted him. And so nothing against any of the other candidates that would have been out there. I'm pretty sure we got the guy that Frost wanted.
2: That statement that he made after the hire about he was the only guy we reached out to it was very intentional to deal, to let everybody know no this is the guy and and like you said he was consulted last year you know as an offensive analyst who wasn't even on staff you know he's working at a credit union but Frost felt so comfortable with this guy and his knowledge of the offense that that we're running that he reached out to him that speaks volumes to me not only as why he hired Matt but mm-hmm. also to maybe why Walters was let go why not bring in the guy that we're reaching out to bring in the guy guy who brought the only five-star recruit that ever went to Arizona. Bringing the guy who's got these connections on the West Coast. Something that we maybe lacked a little bit with this current staff. There's going to be no catching up with him. There's going to be no bringing him up to speed. He's probably more familiar with with our roster than people realize simply because he was looking at our plays last year. So it lacks the splash element. And I know that sometimes fans, you know, we get these pie-in-the-sky visions of what we want to hire because we we feel like we're finally opening up the checkbook, right? But fit's important. We've always said that continuity of culture is important, so he makes sense for a lot of reasons.
3: Do you think Lubick's boss at the credit union is kind of piecing together why he'd always duck into the back <laughs> office with the door <laughs> shut and the phone now during the day, and maybe he wasn't placing calls to customers?
1: I mean, it's I think a point of clarity, and maybe producer Skip, who is very familiar with Colorado State, obviously could add to this, but I mean, this whole idea that he's working at uh, the Canvas credit union, which is the a uh, credit union that actually sponsors the the stadium there in Fort Collins. He was like a university relations. It wasn't like he was doing finance or like uh, he was a banker, right? He was in a, a liaison role between the credit union and the school and the athletic department. So uh, this whole thing that he was you know, completely removed from football and, and just doing banking is, is not really accurate. All right, well, I think we could probably take even a deeper dive uh, on that. I think the show we're going to – cover all the coaching changes, uh, staff and roster changes, and uh, maybe touch on a little basketball. And Boomer can give us the latest updates on women's bowling. You getting cold
2: this winter? Then warm up your soul by getting your ass to Plowboys, the award-winning Kansas City barbecue that is now in Lincoln. Brisket, pulled pork, baby back ribs, barbecue nachos, burnt ends, and more. Call ahead
1: and pick up your order or pull up a chair and pair that meal with a frothy mug of beer. You can find us located inside of Barry's on 9th Street. Now delivering to your home and office. And party planners, sit back, relax, and let us cater your next event as you win over the love and respect of your friends, family, and coworkers. Feel that winter heat with a plate full of mouth-watering
2: meat. At Plowboys Championship Barbecue, tell them the Red Cast sent you and receive a free high five. Hell yeah!
3: And now, scarlet colored glasses.
1: All right, guys, let's continue our uh, coaching conversation by putting on our scarlet colored glasses and uh, kind of actually step back a little bit from the Matt Lubick hire. Uh, Lost in some of this uh, activity last week was right after our show. We did hear the official announcement of Mike Dawson coming on board, uh, as expected. Probably one of the worst kept secrets out there. Sounds like he was even in the offices already working before that announcement came out uh, last week. He is the outside linebackers coach, but he doesn't have that special teams coordinator designation So, uh, Honky, not a a surprise at all, but we are still sitting on that special teams question. What's your reaction to bringing Mike Dawson back?
0: He brings a lot from a recruiting standpoint. He left Nebraska to go to the Giants to be an outside linebackers coach. He's done that plenty of times in the past. And I think one thing that is consistent with Lubick and him, I think that we are trying to step up the recruiting game of those coaches. I mean, that's not to call up the guys before, but Just flat out, that's an area that we want to get improvement in. I Mm -hmm. think that's what these two guys come in and do. When I think of Dawson from a recruiting standpoint, I think of him as an East Coast guy, but yet we know that he went into Arizona and brought Ty Robinson in. Uh, When we think of Lubick as a recruiting guy, he's had success recruiting out at Duke. He's had success down South and at Ole Miss, but most people think of him on the West Coast with Oregon and Washington and Arizona State. Uh, He was a Pac-12 Recruiter of the Year all three years he was at Arizona State. So, in general, I mean, I think that's a consistent thing, and also, for what it's worth, it's two guys that have coached with Frost in the past. He's comfortable with them, and I don't have any issue with comfort. I know some people think that that's being lazy, or that that Frost is just falling back on guys he knows, but why would you go out and get somebody you don't have any connection with just for the sake of
2: doing it? Bob Diaco? Or
0: (laughs) in year three? I mean, that worked out great. I don't...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can always add quality coaches. And sometimes it may need a, an outside perspective to inject some energy into the into the room, I suppose. Sure. But Mike Dawson has that continuity with the program. And he does have a, a strong recruiting track record. You're right, Honky. And I think that's definitely a clear element that is being exhibited by these hires, is that it's a really important aspect of this uh, coaching staff that you have to perform in. And so we have that hire. Uh Boomer, we still don't have a special teams coordinator of any sort. It sounds like it's possible that um some of those duties could be split amongst the ten coaches, but we could also have an, an analyst potentially hired. We're still waiting on that. And one of those names has been thrown out there is uh, Sean Snyder, uh, Bill Snyder's son, who was special teams coach at K-State. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I've heard that name come up. I've also heard he's, you know been offered positions at Texas, too, so I, who knows with that where that's going. Again, with special teams, we, we kind of covered that last week. If it does give, like we would mentioned before, Frost the opportunity to spend a little more time on that, and especially that's why I think there's a positive to bringing in coaches that he is comfortable with for the other roles, so he doesn't feel he has to spend as much time in those in those other positions. If he's putting so many trusts in there, he may be able to focus more on the special teams, and hopefully that's where we're going with this.
1: You know, Mac, it seems pretty easy for Scott Frost to find coaches that he has um, previous coaching experience or familiarity with. Snyder... It has that connection, mm-hmm. right? Frost was a GA, I believe, at K-State, right? And so it just feels like wherever Frost turns, he's going to find someone that he, he's coached with previously. Um, whether it's uh, Snyder or someone else, do you feel like this idea of just having an analyst do special teams uh, w- could work?
2: I hope it does. I, I, I'd like for it to work. I mean, something needs to work. I, I thought Boomer brought up a great point, you know, when he was talking about Urban Meyer and a few other coaches, you know, the head coach needs to kind of sink his teeth into something, and I know Frost is the this offensive guru and everything like that, but he's kind of made statements in the past where – he seems very hands-off on the special teams, and, and that probably needs to stop, especially with the results we've had on the field. What I do like about what he's done since these moves, you know, when he came here and he brought his entire staff, there was a certain segment of fans who was like, look at the loyalty. He's bringing what works and he's bringing it to Nebraska. But at the same time, there was a, there was a group saying, he's, he's too stubborn, he's too arrogant to, to make these changes. Well, in year two, after two losing seasons, Scott Frost is out there making changes. He's changed his offensive coordinator, and he's changed an, the outside linebackers and special teams coach, which was which a guy who, who had cancer last year, which you could build in excuses for why DeWitt struggled on the recruiting front and, and why special teams struggled, and he still parted ways mutually, or however you want to phrase that to make it sound really palatable. Frost is not wasting time. He's out there making changes. He's out there making moves to make this program better. Lubick's a great example of that. Maybe he has a, more of a say in the play calls during the game. And uh, like that's, that's a kind of a, maybe a possible evolution of it because there has been some coaching decisions within the game that have been questionable. Fans have had problems with. Listen, he's in year three here. But he's in year five as a head coach. I'm like, let's, let's not pretend like he's a finished product. So he's learning as he's going. Sure. He's being loyal, and he's bringing guys along. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that sort of encourages me going forward with this. One of the telling
0: statements from Frost a year ago, and I think he even highlighted after the fact, was that you know against Iowa, we all sat there and said, why in the world did we kick the ball deep? And when the question was asked to him, he's like, I don't know. I'm not ready to answer it because I'm still talking with the offense who just walked off the field. And it's the head coach just being spread so thin, right? The reality is the answer should always be that you know why something was done. And if you don't, I think this is part of that self-scouting that he looks back over the season and goes, I should know what was going on there. Okay, I understand why I didn't, but that doesn't excuse it. I need to know what's going on in those situations so that we don't make those same mistakes again and again. And so I think Frost, to that point, he's made very strategic changes based off of things that he saw he didn't like. I don't think they're that far removed from what a lot of people out there saw, too. If you sat there and said, boy, I didn't think that our outside linebackers and our receivers looked like they got developed great. Boy, there's a couple of coaches that don't seem like they are pulling in the same amount of recruits as some of the other coaches are. And Frost would highlight the Fishers and the Helds and those guys.
2: Right, because if if I told you or if if it was brought up Fisher was asked to leave or if I said Held was asked to leave or if I said Austin was asked to leave, we would all be like, but why? Like, what position groups, what units underperformed consistently throughout the year? It's, there's no question. But what I would say is, and this is something I think Husker fans can be proud of, because it
0: hasn't always been this way in the past at Nebraska. Hint, Eichhorst and, and Mark Banker. This whole concept of mutual separations. Look, if Frost is doing things the right way, if he's handling people that, that are friends, or people that you know he respects and, and doesn't just kick a guy to the curb, I can respect that. I can respect the fact that you can... Make these hard decisions and still do them in the right way, and I think Frost was doing that. That's something Nebraskans should be proud of. We've had bad fires in the past where guys weren't treated the right way, right. and and that doesn't make me feel any better either. These guys that left, they're hardworking dudes, and I hope they find the right spot where they're going to. But Frost is looking for the right fit and the guys that are going to do the things that you know he needs them to get done, and I, I think that he's comfortable. Bringing a guy like Dawson back, and he's certainly comfortable with a guy like Lubick. Yeah, so let's continue down
1: that timeline a little bit. So we have the Dawson hire officially, and then we're, we're waiting kind of on, on Thursday. And then on Friday, to your point of doing things the right way, I think uh, it seemed like they were really trying to wait to see if Troy Walters would uh, land a job somewhere else. Uh, that's just me theaterizing there. But ultimately, they felt like they needed to make an announcement on Friday – uh, because uh, some reports that came out uh, that Mickey Joseph, the LSU wide receivers coach, um, had been uh, turned down a job, essentially, that had been offered to him at Nebraska. Now, it seems like there's some back and forth there on whether there was any sort of communication, even, between Nebraska and Mickey Joseph. Honky, Mac Boomer, anybody who wants to jump on this one, A, what's your take on that? Is that just kind of like a classic... I don't know if coach speaks the right term, but, you know, saying, well, we didn't talk to him, but, you know, ultimately it was agents and whatnot. Or did we truly not have any communication with Mickey Joseph? And it was all a
2: smokescreen. I listened to early break with Sip and Jake quite a bit. And and actually, Steve Sippel is a guy we might get on the show here before too long. Sippel was adamant about Mickey Joseph never being contacted. And I think that sort of bared out as the story sort of broke. I mean, Frosted, specifically stated in that, that, like, he's the only guy we reached out. He's the only guy we contacted. And if you break it down and you look at it, and like, why would he reach out to Mickey Joseph? He has absolutely no relationship with that guy. They're not running the same offense. It doesn't make a ton of sense unless you're just going to go from a recruiting standpoint and say, oh, we really want to get into Louisiana. But the reality was it probably was exactly how Sip said. He said he reached out to this one guy. The The Mickey Joseph reports probably – advanced the story or i guess you know it kind of forced their hand to say no this is who we're going with but i think you're right dave i think he was trying to give walters enough time to i don't want to say save face but you know kind of like you said land on his feet and get out there so it's sort of a mutual partying again as opposed Mm. to you know you need to find another place to go i have no problem with how really any of that stuff went down I believe that Lubick was the guy that he
0: was going after. If well, he was using ha- him as
2: an analyst already. I mean, sure. So I don't think there's any delay
0: because of Lubick. But I think it's a fair thing to say that they were trying to to provide some time there to Walters. I really believe that. At the end of the day, the one thing that has changed from five years ago and so on, the more kids you sign in December, the less crucial it is that you have your entire staff in place on January 15th to go out and sign players once the dead period is over. Even Lubick right now, we, we hired him on Friday, but he's not going out until this Wednesday this week. So if it was that critical, if it was that crucial that we had a guy boots on the ground right away, you know, He'd have been out recruiting on Friday already. Well, that's not the case right now. We we have that benefit, and this staff is already a year ahead now into recruiting. And that's a when you think about building the foundation, we are going into year three. We're going into the third off season. We are also going into recruiting periods now where we are recruiting a full year ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is something from a coaching staff. This is it took Frost two years to get to this point. I wish we would have had a few more wins. He wishes he would have had a few more wins between then and now. But foundationally speaking, we are on such good footing recruiting-wise. I think we're in great footing with strength and conditioning-wise. A roster that's built up to 160 guys. Frost has taken 24 months to get to this point. But I'll tell you what, man. I think that the foundation is there moving
2: forward to, to really take off. There's a part of me that would, wouldn't even been upset that much. If there hadn't been any coaching changes, you know, because, I can agree because, with that. because it's just such an incomplete product that I just don't know if we've seen what we need to see. Like when we have all the pieces in place and we're recruited and we're we've got that we got the bodies and the types that we want at those positions. Particularly like when you talk about DeWitt on the special team side of things, sure. right? Once those red shirt freshmen get to be on special teams and start making a difference, we have some athleticism out there. You know, then we maybe get a look at him and go. He's not getting it done. Well, that's or the thing. He's that's done. the thing that
0: we haven't seen what we needed to see, but Frost has seen what he's needed to see. Dave,
2: <laughs> uh,
1: great segue there or uh, set up for a question for you guys, uh, Mac Honky. Is uh, do you feel like Frost made these decisions all on his own? Did he consult Coach Osborne, Bill Moose, anybody in between on what needed to change? Because he didn't have to make these changes, uh, but after two years. Um, and instead of a, coming off a 13-0 undefeated season at UCF, he's got two losing seasons, he did make some changes. So how do you think Frost's decision-making process occurred?
0: Yeah, I think any good coach is going to go out there and talk with mentors, talk with people that he trusts to make sure that the things that he's seeing, that they would be seeing the same thing mm-hmm. too. You know, It's a bit of validation. Probably the one guy out of all the scenarios you just mentioned there, Dave, that I'm, I'm just going to make a guess that didn't play a role in it would be Moose. I would, I, I would
2: 100% agree with
0: that. Or if, it, or if Moose did, it would only have been because Frost was soliciting the advice of it, which is a complete different scenario from, you know, the Diaco, Eichhorst, Riley yeah. era kind of thing. Nothing was forced down on him. Nobody was telling Frost, you need to make this decision. So to that earlier point you had there, Mac, about how, you know, the buddy system, and that was a knock on Frost. Well, Frost won't get rid of buddies and all that. I think Frost looked at the scenario, and mm-hmm. and, and these guys are his buddies, and, they, and he does like them, and, and he still likes them even after this is all done. Right. But yet I think he looks at that self-scouting after the season and says, my hands are a little bit tighter here. I, I, I see an area that we need to get better at. And even though, to your point, Mac, I, I would have been okay with no changes this offseason too. I, I honestly would have been. I would have been okay with, like, let's go one more year and let's see what – Let's see what happens now that I feel like we have this foundation in place. But I'm not there either. And I'm not Frost. And Frost sees it and he goes, I I see areas that we can improve. Why wouldn't I improve now?
1: It it, it seems like it's pretty humble of him too in some ways, right? Considering he's an offensive guru or whatever, right? Saying that my coaching staff needs to change um, so we can take the next step and and really start to win more games is acknowledging that, you know, he can't do it all by himself, right? He needs – the right staff with him and it's it's interesting this conversation so Matt Lubick has been brought on as the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach mm-hmm. right which is the exact same position that Troy Walters had the Mickey Joseph rumors was probably some similarities but also talked about being a passing game coordinator that title has not been handed out if I understand correctly but we do have a run game coordinator title now given to Greg Austin and um, and it kind of seems like we expect Matt Lubick to kind of play some of that role considering Scott Frost is still the play caller in, in games. So, Mac, here's a question for you from an X's and O standpoint. Help me understand what a a passing game coordinator or a run game coordinator actually does. <laughs> because I guess, like, it seems like, Football is a pretty simple X's and O's thing, and you can only run so many different passing routes, for example, right? When we were kids, we run a there's a passing tree, right? And you know what number and you run the route, right? I mean Super Techmo had what, like eight plays? I mean it's pretty basic, yeah. Exactly. Boomers got it right. But I heard things like Joe Brady at LSU being the passing game coordinator, just changed everything at LSU. So what did Joe Brady do as a passing game coordinator? You know, their their route combinations and, and schemes, et cetera, that was so amazing that changed LSU's offense. What could Matt Lubick do um, in the Scott Frost offense to change the X's and O's dynamic to create, you know, wide open receivers or whatever it is?
2: Well, it's interesting that you asked that. Me and Honky had the opportunity a few years back, and Boomer, you were there that night too, to have a sit down with Milt Teniper and he was a— uh... For those who don't know and anyone who listens to this show who doesn't know, it's you make me sad. <laughs> but he, he was our offensive line coach for many years under Osborne. And he talked about, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging Frank here, but he would talk about how Frank would come to him with the game plan of how they wanted to call plays. And he was like, this doesn't make sense with what the blocking schemes we've set up all week. It's like, Frank, this isn't going to work. We can't do this play, this play, and this play because we've set it up for this way because they do an odd front. They do an even front or whatever the front is. They shift this way. Uh, you know, our line set up to do this. If you call that play, so-and-so is going to be completely unblocked. So, I mean, there, there are nuances that that are involved in there. And to me, you know, some people would say, well, the, the passing game coordinator, the running game coordinator, that's just a way to justify a raise. And there could be some truth to that. But I really do think it, it adds a bit of responsibility. It adds a little bit of ownership. And it, when you have a young coach like Greg Austin, who I think is really an up-and-comer, it gives him a, a little bit bigger voice in that room and say, no, 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 no. This is my baby. And when we run plays, this is how this is going to have to look. We're going to have to be in this kind of setup. Your backfield is going to have to look like this because when this team shows up in this odd front, then such and such is going over here. You know, like there, there are, I mean, mm-hmm. the X's and O's in that are, so, they're so nuanced and, and they change all the time that you probably do need a guy like that. And giving Greg Austin that title shows confidence in him. And then bringing a guy like Lubick shows confidence mm-hmm. in him. And maybe that's enough to take the pressure off of Frost on the weekly that really frees him up on Saturdays when we really need him to be ready to go. I feel like when I look at what Frost is doing, you know, in the allocations of duties. And the raises that, that the right guys are getting, I can't argue with any of them. Well, well, think about some of these raises and think about some of these these promotions. The run
0: game coordinator, I'll give you a tangible example here. As I'm watching San Francisco and Kansas City, and I'm seeing guys like fullbacks being out there on the field, even in spread <laughs> attacks at times. And I've used them. How far uh, are we in it? Uh, say
2: 34 minutes before we, before we said fullback. fullback.
0: <laughs> and, and if you're the run game coordinator, and the run game coordinator looks at a play and says, you know what, I think a fullback could be something that could set aside or set apart a certain blocking scheme on this particular play, Mm -hmm. sometimes it has to come from that guy. Is that the kind of thing that Joe Brady brought to the LSU offense? Hey, I think if we do some tempo here, I think if we get a shotgun here, I think if we spread this team out, I think if we get a tight end in the middle of two receivers Mm. in a bunch set, whatever in Moss's kid, right? Whatever it is, if that's what the passing game coordinator did to make that happen at LSU, if the run game coordinator at Nebraska is the guy that says, yeah, I think in these situations we want this kind of personnel on the field, those are all things that add up to – a better offense. And why put that all on one guy? Why put it all on just Frost to be the only guy that can make those determinations? I think Teneper is a great example of that. Mm. Because Teniper, what he basically told us after that was, you know, if they walked out of a meeting sometimes, he'd just say, well, you know what? We're just going to practice it the yeah, way he I He basically
2: know. said, ignore what he just said. <laughs> like That's literally what he said to his lineman. He told us, "And like, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to practice it this but, way but, because – but he also emphasized how he never had to say that with Osborne. He's like, Tom knew what the line was doing. He mm-hmm. knew what the backfield was doing. It was never a conversation. And again, this isn't, this isn't dissing Frank. This is the, this is the, the greatness of Osborne. Yes. Actually,
0: you know, I'm sorry. We're going down a whole different route here for a second, but I just have to. What made Osborne a Mount Rushmore of all time coach? He could coach every position, offense, defense, or special teams boomer. He could be the coach, and he could coach it better than anybody on the staff could have. Teneper told us that. Teniper's like, he could have coached the O-line
2: everybody mm-hmm. as good as I could. Not While the, simultaneously running a Fortune 500 company. <laughs>
0: simultaneously. Doing everything. <laughs> and and not every coach can do that. And the point is, is that that's where these passing game coordinators, run game coordinators. How about recruiting coordinator? Held getting uh, no promoted up to that. No brainer. It's a no brainer there. I mean, you want guys that are detailed. You want guys that are organized. And to have a passion about recruiting, no one better than Held to do it. Um, in fact, I, I don't even know how many years it's been since we've had a recruiting coordinator. That used to be a title. Lesby?
2: I mean, I'm trying to think.
0: Well, I mean, it, we kind of had him, you know, Gilmore and some, but it, oh, yeah. the, the title almost went away a bit. And so to, to have that back withheld, that's As that's great. did the talent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Full circle.
1: You know, I, I think Lubick actually had that title at some of his other positions too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had some really great successes as a recruiting coordinator, Arizona State in particular, he had some really phenomenal grabs. Duke, I mean, so I'm really intrigued to see how that that plays out. You know, uh, Mac, you mentioned uh, Sippel earlier. He he had a, a really good article about, you know, would Scott Frost potentially ever give up play calling duties, which I kind of doubt, I guess. Especially uh, completely, considering that, I think that's one of his calling mm-hmm. cards and has, has gained a, a great reputation. I think he wants to kind of prove that back up again. But um, uh, I was thinking about the, the passing game coordinator of Joe Brady at, at LSU thing again. And one of his duties was, I think, uh, certain red zone play calling duties went uh-huh. to him. And so, you know, could it be possible? One of the things I think Sam McEwen had an article or, or talked about. Things that Lubick needs to address, and it was the passing game within the red zone. Just Mm. awful, right? I mean, the stats that uh, Sam was throwing out, like with three touchdown passes, I think, uh, or something like that in the red zone. I mean, we had the lowest percentage. It was just, and he compared it to to Lubick and Frost at their other locations, and it was just a really bad year for that. And while the run game was actually pretty good in the red zone, so, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, Lubick may have more influence on the play calling, at least within the red zone on, on passing downs. I could imagine it's something that Frost could, you know, give a little bit of responsibility to, to Lubick on that.
2: Yeah, maybe it, maybe it boils down to trust and what he's seen up there. And then Frost is comfortable in playing. Maybe it comes down to uh, the communication they had throughout the week saying that, like, if, if you see this, let me know and we're going to call this and then hold me to it that day. You know, because you know, throughout the game, I I could imagine, I've never called plays at a major division one program, Man. but I mean, I could imagine emotions being pretty high, and and just kind of being stubborn about doing something. And we're in Nebraska, and we kind of want to flex our muscles a couple times. So who knows? You know, like well,
0: it's it's like bringing up Tanneberger again. Yeah. I mean, think of the Husker Vision audio of the last game Osborne coached here against Tennessee, mm-hmm. and the first quarter against Tennessee. They crowded the line. We weren't running the ball at all against a 10, 11-man front, basically. And Husker Vision started to play some of the audio that was played over the coach's mics. And it's Solich and it's Teniper up in the box sitting there talking to Osborne saying, you know what, I think we can release a tight end. I think we can roll out. And our head coach, Scott Frost, fakes the handoff, rolls out, throws a 20-yard pass to Sheldon Jackson across the middle, starts to... Back the defense off. Now, Osborne called the play. He's the offensive coordinator calling the play, but it's guys in the box. It's guys on the staff that know the situations. They've gone through all the prep work for the weeks leading up to this, and they're the ones that are saying, Tom, this is what's going to work. I think if we release somebody, it will work. Now, you call the play. You call the thing that's going to get the guy to the right spot. But what I'm telling you is I think if this guy goes out here, if we line up in this kind of formation, I think we can get something to work. And that's the synergy you want between assistant coaches and your coordinator, whoever the coordinator may be, Mm -hmm. whether he's the head coach or not. You want guys that that know the scheme well, and you want coordinators that can trust those guys giving them uh, advice.
2: Well, and I remember when Mike Riley was hired here, I I went and dug up a whole bunch of YouTube videos about him and there was one I think the year prior to him coming here he had lost uh, Langsdorf to uh I think oh, it was the, the Giants, Giants right yeah. and he brought in uh, Garrett I can't remember I think he was uh, Jason Garrett's brother or whatever but he talked about you know he almost went ahead and decided to be the offense coordinator for the team but he goes but then I realized what a commitment that is you're talking maybe a 25. To thirty hour a week commitment of breaking down film and setting up a game plan, and if you're tying your head coach, your head guy up with that much, you know, hours a week, like what is that keeping him from? You know, is it keeping him from Boomer? Is he keeping him from the special teams and and making sure that stuff is a is like a finely tuned watch? I don't think that's a phrase, but it is. <laughs> but it is now. You know. <laughs> well, but, hey, it's what Frost is doing though. Uh, but, but I mean, that's the kind of stuff. It's like. It's all an evolution, right? I mean, like the the Redcast is an evolution. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the same since the day we started. We're already <laughs> finally tuned here on the Redcast,
0: so no worries. We've we're a, we're <laughs> a finely tuned clock. We've evolved from four to five winds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: Amen. like a Swiss timepiece we are, right? Water resistant up to three atmospheres, <laughs> That's Dave. That's right. I mean, we could go on forever on this. This is great stuff. But um, maybe I'll try to wrap it up, uh, at least coaching wise with this question. What would be the one question, the one coach you'd like to ask a question and get a, a really direct answer from? I'll I'll start with Boomer actually
3: just to play kind of a little devil's advocate on here when it comes to lubick when you go online and you kind of see the different opinions of fan bases on it it's kind of interesting you see the oregon fans and you know nebraska fans that leech off oregon fans say oh he was great there and then when you look at washington fans they they're kind of laughing at the hire saying good god the guy had no interest in what he was doing here and Seemed to stop carrying, and our offensive production went down while you were while he was there, and stats kind of bear that out. So what makes it different from your time in Washington versus time at Oregon, and what's going to translate here in Nebraska? I guess I'd be kind of interested to see you know, what
1: his response is to something That's like that. That's a great that. question, yeah. Boomer. That's a really great question. Yeah, I, and that might go back to fit, right? Maybe he, he didn't have the right fit with Peterson, mm-hmm. and and all those type of things. Uh, he did hop around even before he landed at Washington, right? He almost missed for like a month, and then that staff got fired, and Baylor. Yeah, if- I
3: mean, his longest tenure as an OC was at Washington. So I guess, I, you know, if you look at a body of work, I'd be curious to see kind of, was his role a little different at Washington yeah. as offense coordinator? Probably, because I'm sure Chris Peter was. does Chris Peterson call plays
1: to Washington? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. That's a great head, question. But, uh,
3: I guess that'd be my question. You know, what's, what's going to be the difference here at Nebraska versus, you know, how your tenure went at Washington?
2: Mac, if I could give one of the coaches truth serum, my biggest question would be what was the deal with Adrian last year? Would you ask Verduzco that? Yes, I would. I'm like, "Were you completely blindsided by it? Was he hurt? Did you overestimate him?" And like, "What exactly happened because something was off?" And I and I'd like to know why. And I'd, and I would hope it wasn't a, an overestimation of Adrian's ability, but if it is that that concerns me greatly, I'd, Mac.
1: I guess if you brought a really good cigar and maybe some scotch, Mario might actually have that truth serum.
3: Slide a little existentialist philosophy there too will help. You know, maybe a little calm down,
0: Voltaire. Yeah, yeah, got gotcha. you.
1: That's true. Boomer could actually help tutor you on some of that. So, Honky, what do you got?
0: I would ask Sernander probably some questions about the three-four. And we hear a lot about that. You know, is that the issue? Is it not the issue? Has that been a bigger challenge than you expected maybe walking in?
1: Excellent stuff, guys.
2: Uh, really actually learned quite a bit here. I appreciate all the, the comments. I missed Honky's response, but I assume he said something about how come we don't see more fullback. No, well. Oh, that's not what you said?
0: <laughs> well, and, you missed the re- <laughs> and you missed the response because you're 40 and you can't control your bladder anymore. But that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> one other thing, Dave, before we... <laughs> Before we move on, there is a little roster management. We've talked about coaching management, but but there's been yeah. some roster management in the last week. Uh, John and Purnell Jefferson have left. Uh, exact numbers, I'm a little fuzzy on. I think we had two open spots still, but then you have those two gone. Now you're kind of getting into the four category. There still might be another guy or two. Well,
2: Woodyard's in Woodyard's the transfer. Woodyard's left floor. today. Well, I Woodyard's
0: in the transfer floor, but he was a senior last year anyway.
2: He had a red shirt available. Yeah that this falls into the bracketology sort of conversation with me where i'm not i'm not following that very closely but we're we're within about 3 to 4 to 5 guys we need either excise and then add cuz you know you, you figure rimer is going to get a scholarship
0: the, the, the tough thing though is like when someone leaves when do they get applied like what year do yeah, they that, get yeah that that is to? always the thing that's, that's like the i thing. need to
2: my understanding an is an app.
0: my understanding is that we have two openings right now that we could hand something out to. So Raritan and Jefferson leaving don't automatically give us four openings in in February. We still just have the two. But right. it's this this semester gets done and then maybe the Joe Burrows of the world that transfer after the semester is done, now we would have four spots open for any of those people or walk-ons or in, mm. any of that dave does that kind of jive with what you're thinking
1: that jives with my understanding i don't know when that clock resets i think sometime in may or maybe in, in august but yeah i think we would have those two spots available to him and that, that potentially could go to um who was doing the the blue shirt oh, thing oh yeah year. Gifford, gifford
0: or yeah. or hahn or one of those guys? gifford
1: right yeah Yeah, yeah, so, like, you know, come August 31st or whatever, they they get that. And so, yeah, I think that's correct. We still only have two scholarships left for this recruiting cycle. And now, Nebraska Ball. All right, let's turn our attention to Nebraska Ball. And uh, the season slogs along. It's uh, kind of hit a rough patch here with – Another loss on the road to Wisconsin. Fred Orberg's team actually uh, you know, competed at pretty high level at, at times tonight. Uh, first half was relatively close. Got within five points uh, within about five or six minutes to go. But uh, apparently a record-breaking Wisconsin Badger, Badger three-point barrage. Uh, Boomer, what was it, 18 made three-point shots? Yeah,
3: they went NBA Jam style. He's on, on fire! Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, uh, it feels like this always happens to us, where some team catches absolute fire from outside, and but in reality, there's been other games, uh, like Iowa, where we've uh, had teams shoot very poorly from the three-point arc, so I suppose it always balances out a little bit, but tonight, uh, the Badgers uh, hit way more than they missed, it felt like, and even though Nebraska executed some really good offense, especially in the first half. Where we were able to penetrate the lane with Mac and Deshaun Burke and get easy uh, dishes and layups, we were making our um, point blank shots tonight uh, to keep it in the game. It just wasn't enough, right, Boomer?
3: It was similar to the Indiana game when there was there were there were windows of opportunity. We haven't quite taken advantage of it that's kind of been the mantra of you know men's sports at nebraska lately there's chances and we just haven't taken advantage of it yet it's a new team very young it's part of that roller coaster we've talked about it before
1: so mac it does seem that wisconsin basketball in particular even more than football i hate them. a little smug sometimes right oh honky <laughs> jumps right in there honky how do you feel about wisconsin badger basketball
0: i don't know who i hate more right now wisconsin or iowa but i just i equally
2: hate them both
1: yeah, uh, Mac, do you have any thoughts on the smugness of Wisconsin basketball?
2: They're irritating, Dave. <laughs> they, they walk around like it, – it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I cannot stand that state. I cannot stand that program, and I hate how they make me feel inside. Um, I, I, liked, I liked how Burke was driving to the lane. I, it, it felt like to me for a while there, I was like, they have no answer if we drive. And we were actually finishing at the hoop for a change, which was which, which tickled me. Uh, we are a ridiculously 50 50 team at the free throw line. I mean it is
1: it's maddening, isn't it? I don't understand it. They'll, yeah. they'll
2: make one, if they make the first one, they'll miss the second <laughs> one, and vice versa. And yeah. it is what it is, but we didn't get to the line very much because apparently Wisconsin's incapable of fouling they' <laughs> <And> they're, they're <laughs> unbelievable despite their size they can they can manage to get just a hand on the ball. So frequently but or yeah. flop. Oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. They are the FIFA of the big. <laughs> thing. So, um, yeah, I, I was I found the, I found the game irritating. I found the, the Wisconsin players even more so. And uh, I, I can't stand I, I don't even like cheese anymore. That's that's how I feel. I'm, I'm almost I'm, were, a, I'm almost not a Packer fan. And
0: you were a huge Wisconsin cheese soup fan. I love Wisconsin right? cheese it, soup.
2: It, I loved. How
0: are you with like like Miller beer or <laughs> Schlitz or anything like that? Are you okay with that? I'm not gonna lie. I like all those things you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we had a question to the Plowboys Barbecue and a inbox today, and it was from coworker Eric, and he asked which player on the basketball team has exceeded the expectations so far.
1: Well co-worker Eric that's a a good question I think there's multiple candidates there I mean Cam Mack even though he came in with some expectations have has lived up to those the guy at times looks like an all big 10 point guard he's not consistent enough and he doesn't get enough assists because we don't make enough shots but uh and and he makes mistakes and he can't make free throws to max point but uh, he's a sophomore, and he's got uh, at least one, if not two, more years to really grow. So, but honestly, I mean, you could put Thor on there. You could put honestly, Hanif Cheatham has looked better than I almost expected, and so there's quite a few candidates there. I really like Kevin Cross's future, Oil Drago's future. It's it's I I looked at the stats going into the into the Wisconsin game and our starting five and their starting five both averaged around 50 points a game. So what that tells me is we are not as deep of a team. We don't have the same bench as Wisconsin or many other Big Ten teams. And that's where uh, the uh, the team right now is just not
0: there yet. Yeah, and I think you're trying to see some depth grow with obviously Charlie Easley getting out mm-hmm. there more. And then they put Gervais out there again. He's starting to play more a little bit the last two games. Although I I still continue to see a struggle at times with him on the court, and I don't know what it is. I'm not smart enough with basketball X's and O's to to see it, but it just we do better when we have easily on the court than we do when we have Gervais Green.
1: No, it's a it's a great point. I mean, part of it is Gervais Green's probably a defensive liability, and I, I think Cam Mack is a bit of a defensive liability at times too. So when you have both of the those guys out there, that's a bit of a challenge. Offensively, Gervais is a volume shooter, right? He takes a lot of shots. He wants the ball in his hand. And uh, you got to be really good in the Big Ten to be a volume shooter because that that means you are going to be taking a lot of shots, right? And not everybody is James Harden, right? And so, I don't know. If I was Fred Hoiberg, I'd be having discussions with Dravet of saying, all right, you know, I mean, your dream is to make it to the league, right? So how are we going to do that? If you're not a good enough of a shooter to to be the guy on a team like this, and and how can we redefine your role going forward to give you the best opportunity to play pro basketball in the future, whether that's the NBA or elsewhere, and maybe that's a, a six man position where you can come off the the bench and provide a spark. And um, but right now it, it doesn't work, and it doesn't really work really well in the in the Hoiberg offense, so it's 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 a tough call.
0: What are you seeing right now on the court, and what are you kind of seeing that's maybe the guys that are sitting on the bench that aren't able to play right now, the combination of it, what's giving you that hope that next year things are going to get better, things are going to be potentially a lot better than what, what we're seeing right now?
1: Really, it starts and, and almost ends with the offense and the scheme that we run. It, it's a very exciting brand of basketball, but the fact is, is Fred Hoiberg ha- has we were talking about schemes and and all these different things in like the college football coaching, right? Well, I really do think that Fred Hoiberg brings a an advantage to Nebraska backs basketball from an X and O standpoint, and that's hard to come by. And some of the things you see tonight, for example, of the 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 drive and dish approach and and these things work and uh, to draw plays inbound plays for example that create open shots is not easy. Uh, very few coaches can do that. Uh, Brad Stevens is a, a great example. Of the NBA and, and formerly a Butler who just like can x the o um, out of anything. And uh, Hoiberg's kind of from that same ilk, and uh, that's a, a rare thing in this day and age. And so I, I, I can't be more than excited about that because that's uh, something that we haven't had here in a long time. Fair enough. So, Boomer, who do we have coming up this weekend?
3: Well, we have a traditional Big Ten whipping boy here at the uh, uh, Go Big Red. Cats, Rutgers, <laughs> who is surprisingly ranked at twenty fourth. Which, Yay. from my Boomer, understanding, I Rutgers like hasn't you. been ranked since uh, since maybe Atari Pong was out. Might be my best guess yeah. last time Atari was uh, Rutgers was ranked anything, but uh, could be
1: pre-Atari. Be honest with you, Boomer.
3: Yeah, well, I, we lost Rutgers before. It was a they are what they are. The Big Ten is a hell of a basketball conference, and we can't uh, take it any way from them. And then we've got uh, Michigan and Penn State, I think, and the uh, PBA coming up after them. So there are opportunities for some good wins for this team and a chance to grow and develop, and that's what this season, I think, is all about, is just what what can this team kind of learn and how can they set the stage for next year.
1: The schedule is really tough going forward. I think I read today that our remaining schedule is the second toughest schedule in the country with like 12 teams in the top 50 of the the net rankings. And
3: yeah, I think like uh, Warren Nolan had us winning one game.
1: Yeah, it's probably Northwestern so. at home. I, I mean, it's just... It was, yeah, that was the one. It's just really, really tough. The Big Ten is really good this year. It's really deep across the board. And uh, we have a lot of tough games coming up. So you just got to hope to find... A couple more wins here. I do think there's brighter days ahead. We just gotta gotta stick with it. Uh, a lot of guys sitting on on the bench this year; they'll be playing next year, and we'll we'll see where that goes. All right, let's get out of here with some
0: parting shots, and I I will give it to Honky first. I have two things. Uh, the first one is uh, Minnesota, Nebraska, two thousand twenty three. They just announced that game, and we've gone from playing Minnesota in the last week of the season, mm-hmm. as we will the next two years to apparently week one in 2023. So the game that's out of Possibly a
2: Thursday too, right?
0: Yeah, Thursday night game and at Minnesota. So just kind of a a strange thing. I mean, now guys, if you think about this, the next four seasons, three of those four years, we're going to be playing Purdue next year in week one. Uh, We'll be playing Illinois in week one in in Ireland, and then we'll be playing Minnesota. That's kind of a new trend. Do you like it, Dave?
1: I I don't mind it. I I think it actually gives an urgency to your fall camp, and a focus that probably helps. Uh, traditionally, it's kind of nice to have that uh, cupcake to start off, but um, it hasn't necessarily worked out for us recently, so let's let's see how this plays out, right?
0: Yeah, why not? My other one is uh, Inu Athletics just uh, gave another $10 million to the academic side of the university, which I think that's an unbelievable statement right there. For people that aren't in the know, uh, there are so many – universities out there that take student fees or they'll take in taxes the fact that the husker athletic department is self-sufficient like that so much so that they can it can pay a surplus back to the academic side i think that's something that we all can be very proud of and uh, it's a great thing to see i love that synergy between athletics and academics all right, Boomer. David mentioned uh, we're going to do a little breakdown of uh,
3: Nebraska Women's Bowling. Uh, <laughs> I would like to give a shout-out to them. Uh, they are currently still number three in the RPI for bowling, Uh against our normal nemeses uh, mckendry and vanderbilt so there's give and take with uh husker bowling and we are looking forward to a uh red kind of uh visit of nebraska uh bowling here in lincoln at the big red invitational at hollywood bowl towards the end of february the 28th through march 1st we're all looking forward to uh, maybe going out and watching women's bowling so if you'd like to join us please do so and that'll be a great time. Boomer, I know Mac and I are planning on going. I'm too. planning I'm on going. I think it's a great opportunity. Try to stop me.
1: You guys should tailgate outside of the Hollywood Bowl.
3: That'd be hilarious. We'll probably be doing it inside the Hollywood Bowl, Dave. I yeah, mean, there's, yeah. There's there's no limits here. I mean, This is going to be an all-weekend <laughs> thing. It's a three-day event. So come on and join us, and uh, we'll kind of fill in our listeners as we get closer to that date, and let's uh, go women's bowling.
1: And that's like Woodstock, a three-day event. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, good stuff. And Mac, get us out of here.
2: Yeah, my Mine's pretty short and sweet, and I'm only saying this because I care. There are a lot of decaffeinated brands on the market today that are just as tasty as the real thing, Redcasters. Right, <laughs> 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 All right, good stuff. To
1: well, uh, let's call that a go big Redcast.
2: Go big, TPR.